Good morning. It's good to have you here today. Uh, had a great week. I uh, actually got to go spend a few days with the Beviers. And uh, we flew down. They, they took care of us. Just an amazing little trip. We had a couple days. We went down to Mexico and we came back through customs. They said, do you have anything to declare? I said, just the gospel. So uh, I'm here to declare the gospel today. If you got your Bibles, uh, grab it open with me today. Uh, I want to read a passage. Uh, I want to encourage you this week, a couple, couple of just quick uh, housekeeping items, San Juan as well as here, is uh, Tuesday night, uh, we're going to be doing a prayer for our elections. Sean Foyt's going to be joining us. It's going to be bonkers. It's going to be pretty fun praying for righteous men and women to, write, to God raise up. Amen? And I love the nervous hand clap. Come on. It's... Can you do that? I thought there was a separation of church and state. We'll educate you later, but um, it's good to pray. The Bible says to pray for your leaders. It says to pray for those that are in authority, that you might live a quiet and a peaceable life. I think if Paul was writing in modern day, say pray for those in authority, that you might live a quiet, peaceable life and have decent gas prices. Come on. Let's pray. So we're going to pray Tuesday. Sean's going to be with us. How many say I want to come? 630, we want to come pray for our elected officials. I want to get a hand, uh, uh, just a, a, count, a, a general count so we know how many people we're setting up for. Okay, so I'd say, okay, about 150 people in the service. Okay, awesome. So uh, it's going to be great. That's Tuesday night. Uh, also want to pray this morning. Today is actually International uh, Day for the Persecuted Christians. And so we want to pray for people that are, that are believers all over the world that are being, this is, I mean, just quite frankly, I think sometimes, I'm going to talk about it today, you take for granted what you have. Remember that old school song, on and on, it seems we go, we don't know what you got till it's... Rights are like muscles. If you don't use them, you'll lose them. And I think that that's why I want to encourage you, I want to employ you uh, to vote this week. I remember I came from a family didn't really like vote all the time, and it wasn't a huge deal, especially if it wasn't like a presidential election. But this is a very, very, very important election this week. And I, I just want you to do me a favor. Don't complain about where California's at if you don't go out and vote. So if you're going to go on your public journal called Facebook, do you have a problem with that, by the way? Can we just treat journals as journals and social media as social media? Have, we, we learn how to tweet before we learn how to think. Anyways, but I want to encourage you, before you vent on Facebook, make sure you vote this week. Can I get an amen? We're Americans. We should vote. Tough crowd this morning, San Juan. Tough crowd. I have some good jokes I'm holding back on right now. All right, 2 Chronicles chapter 7. It's so good to be back. If you have your Bible, I'm going to read uh, just four verses this morning. Uh, I'm going to give a little bit of context because there's a lot of people out there peddling a lot of different ideologies and views on Scripture. Uh, there's dispensationalism that basically believes... Uh, a lot of things that really we would not believe. There's cessationalists that believe that p power, miracles, that, that basically what happened in the Bible is reserved to just the Bible, and it no longer has any applicability to today. We are not cessationalists. We are continuationists. We believe that what God did, then he does. We believe those crazy verses in the Bible that Jesus is the same yesterday and forever. That's a sandlot. You guys with me? So we're going to actually go in today. I'm reading out of the Old 
Testament out of the book of Second Chronicles. This is a very, very familiar passage. During COVID, there was a lot of churches that were praying this over America. There was churches all over the world, not just America, by the way. There was people all over the world. You got different nations, not just Israel, not just Jews, all over the world that were praying Second Chronicles chapter seven. It is one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most significant uh, prayer models and ideas of how do we get back to health. When we become unhealthy. And that's essentially what I want to talk to you about today. Last week we talked about taking ground. And uh, today I want to talk about healing the ground. Healing the ground. You guys with me today? I do think that every one of us, and this is what I believe about scripture, is I believe that I believe in a uh, covenant theology, that God made covenants with different men. There was Abrahamic covenants, there was Adamic covenants, or Edemic covenants, there was Mosaic covenants, there was Davidic covenants, there's all types of covenants, and we are now under a new covenant. But I believe, listen to me, listen very, very clearly, because I was actually just, I was always, just gets me fired up when I read about people that try to undermine the significance and the power of the Bible. And there's a bunch of people, even in Orange County, that are highly educated. They have more degrees than a thermometer. They're super educated, but they try to rob the Bible of its power. And they basically say things like this, well, like Jeremiah 29, 11, that wasn't written to you, so therefore you can't declare it, you can't believe it, you can't receive it. That was written from other times for other people. Listen, I agree that the Bible was not written physically and literally to us. It was not written to Americans. Because that's like one of the big arguments today is like, are you one of those Christian nationalists? It's like, well, do I love my country? Yeah. Are you Christian? Yeah. If that defines Christian nationalism, then I'm like, well, I, I guess. I don't believe that America is, is heaven. Are you hearing me? I believe it's a fallen nation like any other. But I do think that you should actually love where you live. And last time I checked, we're in a democracy, so if you don't love it, you can leave it. Did you guys know that? This place is so terrible. Just come on, pack it up. But last time I checked, it's the only nation in the world that people are literally dying and trying to smuggle their way into our nation. It seems like the only people that hate this place are the ones that are from this place. The only ones that don't like our nation are the ones that have never been to other nations. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. So I'm not trying to fend anybody out of the gate. But... I do feel like this is important today that we have to understand that yes, Second Chronicles was not written to America. It wasn't written to Americans. The Bible was not written to you, but it was written for you. It was written for you. It's written for you. So there is the Logos word that is the written word, and there is the Rhema word, which is when you read the Bible and you're like, oh my gosh, that thing just roundhouse Chuck Norris kicked me in the jaw. That verse just dislocated my spine. Come on. I feel like the Lord just corrected me. He just exhorted me. He just reproved me. Are you hearing me today? Because there are crazies out there, intellectual crazies that go, if your pastor gets up and says that if you pray the prayer of Solomon, that he's a, he's a crazy pastor because that was written to the Jews and it didn't even work for Solomon. Am I rebuttal to those people that say that this prayer that we're going to read, that's one of my favorite prayers in the Old Testament, that it didn't work for Solomon. It did work. Solomon didn't use it. Solomon let 300 wives and 700 concubines turn his hearts toward the gods of the land. That was the downfall of Solomon. But if you look at King Asa, there it is. If you look at him, if you look at Hezekiah, you look at Josiah, all the men that used this prayer saw revival in the land. So, you guys ready? 
lips are a little fired up this morning. A little, 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 just kind of little. You guys having a good time? Second Chronicles chapter 7. It's, this is an awesome passage. Solomon spends, uh, spends seven years uh, building the temple. Builds this glorious house. It's full of gold. Solomon is maybe the wisest human being that ever lived. But he had a thousand ladies, which that's probably, I don't, that's probably the thing that he probably wasn't the wisest in. <laughs> but outside of the ladies, he was really wise. Built a phenomenal house, built a phenomenal temple. And when he dedicated the temple, the Bible says that fire fell. We know that God gave him, he gave him wisdom beyond his years. Uh, most people don't realize that God gave him such wisdom because, because Solomon, part of wisdom is generosity. The wisest people I've ever met are usually some of the most generous people I know. Wisdom and generosity, they travel together. When most kings would sacrifice one animal, he sacrificed a thousand animals. It was that night in his teenage years that God came to him like Aladdin, come on somebody, genie of the lamp, and said, what do you wish? And he says, give me wisdom that I might lead well. God answers his prayer because he's a generous leader. And he said, I want wisdom not for my name, but for your name so I can lead the people well. I believe that wisdom is found in people that are looking for the benefits of helping the people they're leading. Most people want influence, not for them, not for the people they lead, but for themselves. And whenever you want influence for yourself, you build empires, not kingdoms. Because empires are about the people serving the leaders. Kingdoms are about the king serving the people. Are you hearing me today? So, just thinking about this idea of Second Chronicles, he says he builds the temple, he dedicates it. It's pretty wild. After he dedicates this building, he actually goes on another, another generous rampage that he actually sacrificed 22,000 bulls. He sacrifices 120,000 sheep. If that was modern day, I'm, I'm sure it would be like in the, in the almost tens of millions. That is a lot of money in animals. Are you hearing me today? So he does an extravagant offering. It says God appeared to him again. Verse 13, verse 12, excuse me. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night. He said to him, I've heard your prayer. I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among you. He says, if my people who are called by my name. Who, whose people? This is really cool because the first thing we know about this prayer is God doesn't need the world to be godly to send a revival. I often thought, man, if God's going to wake in America, maybe the whole world is going to wake up simultaneously. But theologically, God doesn't wake the world up by waking the world up. He wakes the world up by waking the church up. If my people who are called by my name, if they'll actually humble themselves and pray, if they will seek my, and actually turn, 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 turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears will be attentive to the prayer made in this place. For I've chosen and I've sanctified this house that my name may be there for how long? Is 2022 a part of forever? So make sure, okay. Forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Is uh, 2022 included in perpetually? 
Okay, just want to make sure. So let's pray this morning. I want to talk to you a little bit about getting healthy. Getting healthy. Getting, getting healthy. Getting healthy. Getting healthy. You guys ready? Father, I just thank you so much for what you're going to do. I pray over the next 15, 20 minutes, San Juan and Bake, that you would speak to your people. I thank you today, Lord. We're not here to be entertained. We're here to have an encounter. So, Lord, today, stir our hunger. Show us, Lord, how much we need you, how much we should want you. God, show us the king that's glorious and, and worthy of all of our honor, all of our admiration today. I thank you that, Lord, today you would meet us where we are, how we are. Remind us that you are the king that everyone wants to have. Speak to us today. In Jesus' name, we ask and we pray. Pray. And somebody said a good old fashioned. And I do pray for Lord those that are persecuted in all over the world, the Middle East. We ask you today for revival and even the most hostile nations. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And people said it one more time. Amen. Amen. I was thinking about um, you know, I don't know if you've ever been there before. I'm 38 now, and I I don't get sick very often. Um when I do, it's maybe like once a year, maybe twice a year. I've been fortunate to be pretty healthy. But have you ever gotten sick? Uh, and when you do, you actually realize in that moment, you're like, why have I ever complained about life? <laughs> have you ever been so sick that you're like, why would you ever have a bad attitude? You're not nauseous. You're not like so weak you can barely make it to the bathroom. You haven't lost your appetite. Like you're not in the hospital. You don't have IVs in your arm. Like... Like, I, I've been there before. I've, I've, I've pastored my brother. My middle brother went through cancer. He got stage four lymphoma. I remember going to the hospital. I remember him losing his hair. He had a grapefruit the size, a uh, mass the size of a grapefruit. He had cancer. <laughs> he had grapefruit the size of a grapefruit. It's crazy. No, he had, he had cancer the size of grapefruit. There it is. Next to his heart. And he was 34, five years old. I remember going to the hospital with him and like literally just the most dire, heavy environment. That's why I love what David was singing today about lifting the heavy burdens. Seen God do that. And I've been in environments I'm like, man, why in this environment? I've been there with girls that we pastored that got diagnosed with these terrible diagnoses. I've been in hospital rooms with, with kids that were sh shriveling up. And, and, and honestly, thankfully, I think almost every kid, I can't really think of any kids that we've lost in our youth ministry to cancer. But we had several kids go through gnarly situations. The doctor said they're not going to make it. I cried. We would weep. We would pray. We would anoint. We would go. And I've been in dire situations. You're like, man. Leaving the hospital, I'm like, I will never complain again. I don't ever want to have a bad attitude again. It's kind of like when you have a near-death experience and you're like, God, I'm just, I'm just happy to be alive. Reminds me one of the times I flew back from Australia. I remember hitting the worst turbulence I've ever been in my whole life. It was extreme turbulence. It lasted almost two minutes. I was convinced we are going down. I'm like, there's no chance we're going to make it. The plane was rocking. The stewardess, international stewardess, were crying. I'm like, if they're crying, it's not good. <laughs> These guys see a lot of airtime. <laughs> Stuff getting rattled, cups flying across the plane. We're dropping, like, aggressively, violently. And I'm just holding on. I grab my Bible. Normally, I grab my Bible out just to mess with people in turbulence. Because <laughs> I have a sense of humor. But in this particular occasion, God's like, oh, you want to mess with people? Give you a dose of your own medicine. So I grabbed it out because I'm like, I'm going home. <laughs> Terrible turbulence. Terrible turbulence. And I remember landing in LAX, and I was just so, I was so behooved that I was alive. I was so shocked that I was still living. 
And I remember getting on the next flight to Salt Lake City because I lived in Idaho and you have to take 14 planes to get anywhere. <laughs> and I'm flying to Salt Lake City and on the way to Salt Lake from LAX, two-hour flight, and I remember there was a girl sitting across the aisle and, with her mom and her dad, and I noticed she was throwing up. And I'm like, wow, she's throwing up right there. I've never seen someone use one of those bags. That's what I thought about. Like, that's what those are for. <laughs> yeah. You ever thought like, that's a little bit redundant? Like, does everybody throw up on the plane? Like, I've never seen anybody. And then that day I was like, wow, maybe those are appropriate. So I looked over and she was throwing up. I'm like, wow, okay. I'm glad to be alive. And I had my headphones on, wasn't paying attention. Kind of got a woof of throw up again. I looked over. Her mom was throwing up. I'm like, oh my gosh, two out of three people. Those bags really do come in handy. And I had this thought occurred to me. I literally, I remember coming over to Rochelle. And I said, Rochelle, it was so weird. I looked over just over the aisle. The, the, the mom and the, and the daughter were both throwing up. And I had this thought. If I was sitting in between them and they were throwing up on me, I would still be happy. Because I thought I was going to die. I thought I was not going to live. I'm like, bring the throw up on. I'm alive. I'm a liver. I'm a liver and a kidney. Come on. I'm living. I'm liver. I'm living. I was excited about living. And I remember landing and I'm like, I'm happy. I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm alive. You ever, you ever had that before? Your, your ear pops on a plane and you didn't know your ear was messed up for like two weeks. And then it opens up randomly and you're like, whoa. Someone just turned the volume on. Have you been there before? I, my stepdad got LASIK surgery, and I remember he walked out, and he's like, whoa, this is what seeing looks like. He's like, this should have been higher up on my priorities. Like, what's more important than good sight? I was thinking about this. You know, so many times we take health for granted, and I, I don't know, if I could give you a simple, because so many people, they, they, they get turned off by words like revival. It's like, what's, what is a spiritual revival? It's an awakening. It's when something comes alive that was dead or something wakes up that was partially asleep. Let me say it like this. I think spiritual revival is when you encounter God in a way that you didn't realize that your ears have been plugged for a long time. It's almost like, whoa, you can hear God that well? You can live that close? You can see that clear? Revival is when you didn't know you weren't healthy. And you get close enough to God that you realize, whoa, there was way more of God available than I have ever tasted before this season. There was way more of God available than I have ever lived with in the first four decades of my life. That's revival. Revival is when you're in a church service like this and God touches your heart and you can feel him, you can sense him, you experience him, and his love comes over you like liquid, like liquid oil. And you're like, what is going on? And you're like, whoa, my ears popped open. Eyes opened up. Why in the world are you going to church five days a week now? You're praying. You're going to service. You're serving. You got a job, sister. And you're like, uh, well... God, 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 he woke me up all the way. I can't get enough of him. I believe revival is when you actually have this revelation that where you were before that moment with God wasn't as healthy, but you didn't know it yet. And I just felt like, you know, this passage is so cool because it's macro and it's micro. 
Solomon basically has this encounter with God. He builds this temple. He does this crazy generous offering. The glory of God comes. The fire of God falls. The priest can't even minister because the glory is so thick. And this is crazy. It's like the most dynamic church on the earth in this moment. And it says this. God comes and says, hey, time's going to come. You guys get off track. You're human beings. If you get off track, and listen, sin will always cause the land to decay. Sin is a reproach of any people, the Bible says. And if you want to know why economies and nations and things begin to implode on themselves, where there is wickedness uh, morally, you will find brokenness in in the fabric of society. And that's why the more morally bankrupt America gets, the more screwed up the, the economy is going to get. Revival, one of the last traits of every move of God is prosperity. Every great move of God is followed by a prosperous time. A time that things are thriving, kids are thriving, things are thriving. Why is this going so well? Because we got rid of the darkness. You hear me? And this passage is so powerful in Second Chronicles because it says there will be times in your life that you feel like you are in a spiritual drought. This happens to nations. This happens to people groups. But ladies and gentlemen, don't be duped. This happens to individuals as well. Have you ever felt like you tolerated things that God hated and you feel like the rain stopped? I, well, well, why is it? Why, why is it that I started with a little bit of compromise kind of tolerating some things. I was, wasn't guarding my eyes, watching bad commercials, and now I'm tolerating, like, you know, these rated R movies. The next thing you know, you're watching Game of Thongs or Thrones, and you're soft-core soft core pornography, hardcore pornography, and before you know it, you're totally desensitized. People having affairs, making crazy decisions, blowing their lives apart. How in the world did this get small? This got so big over a small window of time. Because listen to me, darkness unchecked will destroy your life. Period. And you might not agree in morality because you might not believe in the Bible. And this is the funny thing though. Everyone believes that there's a wrong somewhere. All I'm saying is if you don't believe in Jesus, where do you say what's wrong? Well, I don't believe that, you know, kids should be hurt. Okay, well, what age can they be hurt? There, there's, a, there's a, are you hearing me right now? There's, there is a point, even in the most godless mind, that there is things that are not right. And there's an argument right now, because like, well, is it, is it okay to ha- have an abortion? Or is it okay to do this? Is it partial birth? Is it like full-term abortion? Is it imposite? There's bills right now. It's like, because here's the deal with, with wickedness. Wickedness is never satisfied with a, with a, with a stop. It'll keep going until it goes rampant. And if you don't fight things at the, at the cliff, they'll just keep getting worse and worse. Listen to me. That's case in point, pornography. If you don't guard it here, it'll get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until you are so desensitized, you will become what the Bible says is called wicked. Do you know what wicked means? It comes from the idea of candle wicks. It means to be twisted. You know what life without God does? It twists you. Your dark nature, it will, it'll twist you. You ever hear people say, you're twisted, man. That's a twisted thought. That's a dark thought. That's what godless living does. It twists you. You'll start calling bad things good, good things bad. You'll start, you'll start getting angry at people that stand for purity, but you'll celebrate people that stand for, for mutilating a little kid. I want to tell you that teaching kindergartners about sex and putting condoms on bananas in seventh grade is child abuse. Hard stop, period. And you'll you'll call that okay, 
Because here's what society will do. Listen to me. Without God, we're unhealthy, period. That's my, that's my premise today. Without God, we all end up unhealthy, period. Without... How many people are offended already? Without God, we end up unhealthy. It's a simple thought, right? And I'm not saying, we all are. Here's the good news. We all are. Your pastor, Mark, you must like walk. No, 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 no. My mind's twisted without God too. My heart is twisted without God too. Every human being. Listen, if your greatest need was not saving, God would not have sent a savior. If your greatest need was money, he would have sent an economist. If your greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent a entertainer. But your greatest need was saving because without God, you're twisted. So he sends someone to untwist us. The blood of the lamb untwists the church. Are you hearing me? Calvary untwists the brokenness. It untwists the generational dysfunction. It untwists the generational bitterness. It turns curses into blessings. It untwists. So what do you know? Well, it says this. It says that if my people are called by my name, we'll pray. If they'll, if they'll do these things. So it says there's this drought. So without God, without God, we lead into a twisted lifestyle. Just be very simple here. And when you get into a twisted lifestyle, the rain will stop eventually. And here's the sad part. We mistake what God tolerates for what God approves. And we see leaders in the world or in the church that are like, man, well, you're cussing and you're drinking a lot and you're, and you're doing these crazy things that are immoral. But it's like God's still blessing and using you because the gifts of God are irrevocable. But never mistake God's tolerance for God's approval. And that's why we've seen a lot of ministries have a hard time because the gifts are irrevocable, but the, the approval of God is not acceptance to, to, to being tolerant. And we're living in a world right now that's saying we got to tolerate it, tolerate it until we actually, uh, until we embrace it. And if you tolerate sin long enough, you'll embrace it. And if you embrace it long enough, you'll endorse it. This is where America's at right now. Is the, is the campaigns of all the things going on in the world. That's why every movie has some sort of wicked twist in it. Have you noticed every TV show? Like, do we really need this character in the movie? Do we got to have this perverse moment in this scene? Is no one going to watch this movie without this dark moment? Why is there such a blatant agenda to insert wickedness? Because if they can get you to tolerate it long enough, you'll eventually embrace it. And if you'll embrace it long enough on TikTok, young kids, you'll start endorsing it. And then what happens is it becomes generationally cool because everybody is doing it. How do you know that a lot of our sexual orientations and a lot of what's going on in culture is, is, is not a, uh, a, an anatomy issue, it's a social issue? Because nations that don't have technology are not struggling with what we're struggling with. Hard stop, period. So we know that people can be lied to, people can be brainwashed, that stupidity is contagious. Look at social media. It's contagious. Feel something in here today. How? So, okay, here, here's your point. Everyone's, everyone's twisted without God. Yes. How do you untwist? Well, he says part of the reason why most people want to get untwisted because at some point when you give in to your lower nature, what will happen eventually is, is you'll realize the rain's gone. The rain's gone. They're not saying this right now on, on, on television, which is sad, 
But they're, they're, I, I just read a study, actual scientist that actually got a transgender operation, and he's, he's now 40-something years old, and he says, no one's saying this in the media, but they're saying that literally 7 to 10 years after a trans operation, suicide rates are 80%. 80%. See, the lie is this, that you make decisions now that'll fix you later, but decisions without God don't fix you. You feeding your lower appetite, they'll never fix you. You can't look at enough porn. You can't sleep with enough women. You can't make enough money. You can't feed the greed inside of our twisted, godless nature. That giant in you will never be satisfied. Solomon said the eyes are like death and hell. They're never satisfied. They're never full. You can't eat enough wickedness and be full. What will happen is, is you will go for, to new levels of, of the darkness. And that's why when you study Kings and Chronicles, the ones that get worse, they get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Because without God, we will perpetually get more twisted. Is this too heavy today? How do you, how, 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 how? How do you, well, if you, how, how, do, you, how do you get happy then? I, here, here's, here's the issue. We live in a society that the number one value of our culture is happiness. Not health. Happy. Not health. Happy. I want to be happy. Buy this for me, make me happy. Do this for me, make me happy. Give me this operation, make me happy. I want to be happy. That's my number one goal. And here's the second lie that, that society is pushing. Second lie of society is that your number one goal in life should be happiness. And the second goal should be this. You are what you feel. Period. That is, I would say, the most propagated lie from hell today. You are not what you feel. They're called feelings because you feel them and they go. Feel happy today. Well, cool. That's great. I feel sad today. You are not a victim of your feelings. The Bible is very clear in Romans that literally we put off the old man. That we actually have a higher nature that God has called us into. So here, this is the issue. That, that I'm not my feelings. And here's the biggest one. That this, is where, this one you know we've been brainwashed. They say 6% of Christians, 6% of Christians have a theological, a, a, a Christian worldview. 6%. Because most of us have been educated by Caesar's education system. And when you're educated by Caesar, you will produce Romans. Right? So, well, you know, well, I, I know 6% of, so that means 6 out of 100 people in these tents would believe what I'm getting ready to say. 6 out of 100 would believe this. That interfering with someone else's happiness is very bad. You can't interfere with somebody else's happiness. Let's say it another way. I, I think the greatest enemy in America right now, in the world right now, is the fear of men. We're scared to offend anybody. You'll get canceled. You can't cancel the gospel. Nero couldn't cancel it. Nero couldn't cancel the gospel. I'm I don't care. Biden's not canceling it. Fauci certainly ain't canceling the gospel. We ain't shutting this church down ever again. You can't cancel what God is building. But we're scared to offend people. And let me tell you what happens when you live for the fear of man. It will become a snare to you. Love will speak up. It's not mean, but it will speak up. Love is not silent. Listen to me. Acts 2, the power of the Spirit of God did not send them to the ground. It sent them to their feet. 
they stood up. They said, this is the hour. What you did before, you did it in ignorance. Now's the time, like this prayer, to turn to God. Turn away from what you were twisted in. Turn back to God. This is the hour to get untwisted. So here's what happens, though. We never get untwisted if, number one, we don't realize, okay, the famine, the drought, the pestilence, it could be because I'm living void of full surrender. I don't think that bad storms happen because we're always bad. There are storms that hit righteous people. But I will say there are certainly storms that we cause by living without God. You're feeding your carnal appetite all the time, and you wonder why your marriage is blowing up, why your kids are blowing up, why your business is blowing up. Why? Why? Because you're cheating. You're lying. You're stealing. You're doing things antithetical to the truth. You can't have the blessing of the truth if you're embracing lies. That's what's happened in America. And we want the blessing of being a godly nation without God. So I'll move to Texas to get out of California, but I'll vote the same way I've always voted. I'll endorse the same worldview I've always endorsed. And I'll watch the cities that I move from burn down in the future because, listen to me, it wasn't an issue of politics. It was an issue of godlessness. When you pull God out of government, God, are you hearing me, out of our life, we begin to be twisted and we cave in on ourselves. We need God to straighten us out. Can I get an amen? That's not a, that's controversial, Mark. You might offend somebody. I would have rather offend you. Tell you the truth. Stand before God one day and say, God, I told them. I told them left to themselves, they will turn in on themselves. You can't go to enough strip bars. You can't party long enough. And if you do it, eventually the famine will come. And you'll wake up one day like the prodigal son and go, what in the world have I done with my life? Do you know what woke up the prodigal son that was partying? Famine. And do you know what famine follows? Everybody that lives, listen, you can live for 10 years, 20 years, 50 years without God, but at some point you will wake up with a twisted life that goes, where am I at? How did I get here? And there's no famine in the Father's house. I need to get back. So here's a simple idea today, and I'm sorry, a little over time. Is how do you get untwisted? How do you get, how do your ears pop? What is revival? Revival is when you realize that you know what I need to do? There's only two options in life. It's either God has said or has God said. You will only live in one of these two paradigms. You will be a believer in what the Bible says and who God is by saying this. God has said. I know it. 66 books, 40 authors, 1,600 years, no contradictions, inspired, infallible word of God. It's either God has said or you will live in skepticism and say, has God said? Notice this, though. The ones that changed the world said, God has. The devil is the one that says, has God. Let me take it a step further than this. It's either this. It's either man created God or God created man. Here's the breakdown, though. If man created God, life is about man's standards. But if God created man, Life is about God's values. So here's what I know. We're like, well, that's a big thought. That's a big part to get to, Mark. How do you get there? Well, number one, you'll never get there without humbling yourself. You will never have a God encounter until you acknowledge that you're not God. 
And the part of the reason why some of you have never encountered God in a real way, and you think I'm crazy, and you're like, this guy's out of his mind. I got educated at Ivy League school. I know I'm smarter than you are. Yeah, you are. That's fine. I won't argue that. I'm better looking. <laughs> but I'll say this to you. I'll say, uh, you won't encounter God until you're humble enough to come to him as a God. He said, Solomon, you want to see revival? If my people, what people? God's church. And all again, all the, all the dispensationalists, it was, just, it was talking about just Jews and just Solomon, just, no, no, no. It's in the Bible. It wasn't written to me, but it was written for me, baby. If my people will humble themselves. God, you know what I need? I need you. I turn in on me without you. I'm greedy without you. I'm, I'm, I'm lawless without you. I'm loveless without you. I'm perverted without you. Would you help me to be like you? Humble myself. He says, and pray. Pray. What do you pray? God, show me that I need you. That might be some of your prayers. They show me how much I need you. How do you get healthy, Mark? By acknowledging you're not yet. What's the first step to getting healthy is acknowledging, hey, I think I can get healthier. And when you pray, we seek his face. When was the last time you were hungry, hungry for an encounter with God that you were willing to stop binge watching Netflix, turn off the sporting event, open up your Bible? When was the last time your kids saw you going after God? I'm not trying to judge you. I'm not throwing rocks. I would just argue the state that the church is in in America is because we have more passion for the temporary than we do for the eternal. You will always reflect the face of the God you're worshiping. And in America, you know what our face represents? Entertainment. Our face is just, it's beaming with sports. I'm not against any of that stuff. But I will say, if we want to see God change our land, get this garbage out of our schools, get righteousness prevailing in our land, seeing righteous leaders begin to stand, and, and get off out of the gutter and back on the road of, of, of some sort of normalcy that we're not calling wicked things good and good things wicked. We don't get there without humility. We don't get there without prayer. And we don't get there without seeking the face of God. I'll tell you, the hunger of a church is usually revealed by the attendance of the prayer meeting. Someone else, I'm paying you, go, you go pray, Mark. Listen to me, I'm happy to pray. But I'm telling you that we don't outsource prayer. We don't outsource intercession. I tie so you can do that stuff, Mark and Rochelle. Listen to me, I'll do it, and I'm gonna, gonna, I'm, I'm gonna do it with or without you. But I'm telling you, you're missing out on the Christian life. Because God wants to do this with you. Are you hearing me today? Every man, every woman is called to seek the face of God. Every man, every woman is called to seek the face of God. And I'm almost done here. He says this, if you will seek my face and if you will turn. Say with me, turn. The problem in our culture is we don't turn, we tolerate. Look, I'm just a liar. I'm just, I'm just bipolar. I'm just schizophrenic. I'm just a, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I just have this disorder. I'm just a narcissist. I'm just, uh, I'm transgender. I identify as a bumblebee and as a flower. And I just, I'm 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 just. And we tolerate the dark things that Jesus died to free us from. I know this is strong. But I'm telling you today, you will never get free from a demon if you tolerate it. Hard stop period. There's a lot of hard stop periods today. I feel like a... <laughs> I don't know about you, man, but I don't want to live with any chains that Jesus died to set me free from. No. I want to die freer than my dad lived. I want to die freer than my grandparents lived. I want to walk in the light as he is in the light. 
I want to be led by the Spirit of God and be a son of God. I want to give my heart more to Jesus than I gave my heart to the devil before God. Are you hearing me today? I want to literally, I want to turn from anything inside of me that is literally corrupting my relationship with God. Nothing will rob your intimacy with God faster than tolerating things that God hates. I don't want to tolerate anything God hates. Hey God, if you're not ordering, you're not ordering chips and salsa, I'm not ordering it. If you're not ordering holiness, I'm not ordering it. If you're not ordering lying, I'm not ordering it. If you're not ordering lust, I'm not ordering it. If you're not ordering compromise, I'm not ordering it. The problem in society is, is we fear men. And when you fear men, you'll develop a tolerance. And tolerance will always go after people that have convictions. The gospel of America that got us in trouble is the gospel of tolerance. We tolerate everything except Jesus Christ and truth. We tolerate everything except Jesus Christ and truth. Name one other religion that has the hostility, the backlash. Name one other entity that is pushed out of culture faster than anything else. If I stood up here and I said, I worship, I worship wells and trees and I, I, I'm for this and I identify as a bumblebee and as a cat and my, my critter name is uh, Lollipop. There's people in the world that are like, good for you. You know who you are. But if I say, I, Mark Francie's dead. The Mark Francie that was addicted to pornography, the Mark Francie that was raised in godless living, the Mark Francie that was twisted for 18 years, that guy died in 2002. He was crucified with Christ Jesus. And for the last 20 years of my life, it has no longer been Mark Francie that lives, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life that Mark Francie lives, he lives by faith in the Son of God who loved him and gave himself for him. He died that I might live. He was poor that I might be rich. He was in bondage that I might live free. And I'm tired of tolerating demons that Jesus died to liberate us from. So help us, God. And if you want to die with your demons, you won't like this church. Because I'm here to offend them. I'm here to offend the darkness. I'm here to disrupt the apathy that says we're going to tolerate, we're going to accept, and one day we're going to endorse the wickedness. As for me, as for this church, we're going to serve the Lord. I don't care if we have a Guinea revival. I don't care if it's once again me, Rochelle, and our staff. We're going to serve God until He comes back. And if you want to go to a church that's popular and trendy, listen to me. There's only been one window in history that Christianity has been cool, and it's the last 20 years. Historically, Christianity has never been cool. But I'm, my problem is, is cool church hasn't seemed to help our cause. So I'm actually less into cool, and I'm more into holiness again. Let's get back to what the early church changed the world with. They didn't change it with followers. They change it with truth. They didn't change it with tolerance. They change it with convictions. Where are the Christians that are fully surrendered? If my people, who are called by my name, if you will love what he loves and hates what he hates, if you'll turn, if you'll seek his face, if you'll, if you'll let go of the wickedness that's, that's holding on to you and say, God, as for me in my life, I want to serve you. He says, I'll hear from heaven and I will heal. You know what God does to people that seek him in turn? He hears and he heals. This happens to nations? Yes, it does, Jethro. 
It has happened to nations. I could tell you, man, if I had more time for the second service, I would tell you about the revivals of Jehoshaphat, of Elijah, the revival of Jonah and Nineveh. I would tell you about the revival under King Hezekiah in 727 BC. I would tell you about the revival of King Josiah in 622 BC. I would tell you about the revival of Zerubbabel, Haggai, and Zechariah in 521 BC. If I had time, I would show you historically how nations that did what we just shared saw a move of God. I can tell you 458, revival under Ezra. 432, revival under Nehemiah. AD 26, revival under John the Baptist. AD 27, revival under Jesus and his disciple. AD 27, revival of a Samaritan village in Sikkar. AD 30, I could go all day. Revival of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. AD 31, revival of Samaria under Philip. AD 37, revival in Caesarea under Peter. AD 42, revival in Antioch. AD 48, revival during Paul's first missionary journey. There's more when God's people who are called by His name humble themselves and pray and seek His face and turn from their wickedness. It says, I'll hear and I'll heal. I am out of time. Would you close your eyes today? I know this was not a soft message, but I want to be very aggressive because we're living in a day and age that we can't tolerate, we can't collude, and I want to be very clear. I want you to know where we stand. I'm not here standing on any political platform. I'm just telling you, I am into the Bible, whether it's popular or not. We're going to stand for truth. I don't care if it, sometimes the truth will offend you before it sets you free. And if you can get past the offense, you can get free. But if you get so offended because you're hearing stuff that you don't see on TikTok and Twitter, and you're not, you're not getting this from some of these preachers on TV that are just telling that God loves you and your wickedness, and you're going to go to heaven one day, listen to me. The Bible says narrow is the gate, difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. I'll tell you the truth. I'm going to surprise you on this side of eternity. There's preachers that are going to surprise you on the other side. Close your eyes. He's here. Saying, Juan, I feel something. If you're here today, I don't have time to go into this because we're already way over on time. I feel something strong today in this place. If you're here today and you say, Mark, I'll be very honest. I, I want my ears to pop open. I want my eyes to get clear. I want to get healthy with God in a way that I have never been. I'm tired of harboring wickedness. What do you mean wickedness? I mean, there's hobbies in my life. There's activities I participate in that I know grieve the heart of God. And I'm not saying that I'm perfect because none of us are. But I'm saying I am no longer going to tolerate what God does not. I'm going to call sin what it is. And I'm going to humble myself today and say, God, you're God, I'm not. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek your face. I'm going to turn from what I'm doing to what you're doing. And I'm asking you to hear me and to heal me. I'm asking you to hear me and to heal me. If there's something in that message, which I don't have, to, I don't have time to mine it out. If there's something in that message that you know struck a chord in your heart. And you say, I want to be, I want to be with God closer than I've ever been. I want you to lift your hands all over the room. Just lift both hands towards heaven and say, this message is for me. I know it wasn't sexy. It wasn't trendy. It's not cool. It's an old school message. But if God's going to heal the ground of our cities and heal the ground of our nation and heal the grounds of the world, it is going to be a church that is on fire. Not lukewarm. On fire. 
So if you say, God, I'm here for you, I want to seek your face. Come on, lift your hands. God, I'm here today. I'm here for you. I will turn from anything that displeases you. There's some honest people in Orange County. And I'll tell you, if you let God heal you today, he'll heal you everywhere that you're hurting. I just ask you, that's a holy moment. I just ask you to stand on your feet. And if God's speaking to you, I want you to lift your hands. And I want you to pray an honest prayer as we're out of time. We're going to do two things. We'll be done. Well, if you're up, your hands are up today, just say, Holy Spirit, I stand and I lift my hands as a sign outwardly that I humble myself, that I want you and I need you in my life. I want your light. I want your love. I want your freedom. So I pray, seek your face. I turn my back on what's evil on what's dark even when it's not popular and I turn to you hear me heal me Jesus name now watch this you put your hands down if you need healing in your body lift your hands I see God literally someone has scoliosis God's he's untwisting your spine and God says if I can untwist your spine imagine what I can do with your thoughts you have, a twisted, you have a twisted mind because you were abused growing up for 19 years. And God says, watch how I heal your spine as a representation of what I'll do with your mind. I will straighten the thoughts that have been warped, twisted, wicked, and crooked. I'll do a new thing in your life that you've never seen or heard in Jesus' name. There's some Annas in here that are being healed. There's some Rebecca's in here being healed. Do a new thing, do a new thing, do a new thing. You need healing in your body, lift your hands. Again, we're almost, we're almost done. If someone's hands up next, just put your hand on their shoulder. We do this every week. I feel, listen to me, where there's people that genuinely turn to God, there is always healing. Always. Put your hand on them all over these tents today. Would you pray this prayer, Ocean, say in Jesus' name. Both campuses say in Jesus' name. We invite you, Holy Spirit. Heal them physically. Heal them mentally. Do something spiritually. Do something new. Fill them, heal them, lead them, guide them. Jesus Christ's name. If you receive that, just say amen. Last thing we do, I know we're out of time. If you're here, I have to do this every week. I do this at our church. If you know you're not living with God and for God, you know maybe you identified as an atheist or an agnostic, or maybe you just, I believe in God, but I'm just not living for him. If that's it, today's the day of salvation. Today's the day of salvation. Today is not tomorrow, not on your deathbed. Don't make a decision later that you can make today. There's faith in here. I feel it. Just close your eyes. Just raise your hands if you say, Mark, today I want to give my life back to God. Or for the first time, I want to make a, I want to make a public declaration that I am going to turn and I'm going to turn to God today. I'm turning from myself and I'm turning to God. I'll give you three seconds. One, hands going up all over. Real high. Two, real high, real high, real high. Keep it up. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to embarrass you. Three, real high. That's me. That's me. That's me. Keep it up. Real high. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Think you in the back. I see four hands. Real high, real high. Five hands. Real high, real high, real high. I see five hands. That's awesome. San Juan, put your hands up right now. Five, six hands. Thank you, man. Six hands. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Oceans, let's pray this prayer as we close. Say, Jesus, I invite you to be the God of my life. Your God, not me. So from here out, speak to me, lead me, guide me, 
plant me in a church, get me a Bible, and lead my life. Make me like you. In Jesus Christ's name.